Today we're going to be focusing on a new uh, theme entitled, Put Your Life Together. And these are going to be uh, some studies that we're going to uh, unfold or unpack from the book of Ruth, the Old Testament book of Ruth. And I want to put a subtitle to this uh, lesson or message tonight of Put Your Life Together. The subtitle would be, Going from peace to pieces. Have you ever experienced your life going from a state of peace to a state where your heart or your life seems to be broken up in pieces? Going from peace to pieces. Now, there is a story of a professor who was traveling by train with a farmer. After several days together, they kind of got tired of talking and reading. Uh, so the professor suggested that they play a game of riddles. Every time you miss a riddle, you give me a dollar. And every time I miss a riddle, I'll give you a dollar, said the professor. You're better educated than I am, the farmer pointed out. I'll give you 50 cents. The professor agreed. And the farmer made up the first riddle. What has three legs walking and two legs flying? He asked. The professor didn't know. So he gave the farmer a dollar. The farmer didn't know either. So he gave the professor 50 cents. (laughs) I love that. Someone noted, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And the Word of God says in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, this is God's declaration. My people, he says, are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And I believe that one of the ways that the thief, the devil, is able to destroy even believers is through their thinking or lack thereof. And this, as we go through the book of Ruth, I want to present it to you in a way that possibly you haven't seen it before. And I say that not because I think I'm smarter than anybody else, no. But there was a time when I was reading through the book, especially what I'm going to share tonight, and I believe the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see something that I had not seen previously or even heard of. And I want to present it to you Tonight, So let's look at Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to focus on verses 1 through 5, and I'm reading out of the New King James. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malan and Kilion, Epaphrites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Oprah. No, it's not Oprah. It's Orpah. Y'all thought, oh, that's where she began, no, no, Orpah. And the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about 
ten years. Then both Milan and Kilion also died. Watch this. So the woman survived her two sons and her husbands. Now, these verses reveal how both a people, a nation, and a person can go from peace to pieces. We discover how a life also can go from better to bitter, or from sweeter to bitter. Verse 1 begins by highlighting the time period. It said it, it says, in the days when the judges ruled. In the days when the judges ruled. This gives us a timeline or it shares, it, it reveals to us the time period in which what we're reading about occurred. The period from 1300 BC to 1100 BC. What happened during that time period? During the time of the judges? There's a verse in the book of Judges that reveals how life was back then during that time period. In Judges 17, verse 6, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, the Bible says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did whatever they wanted to do. You'll see this phrase referenced and repeated in Judges as an 18 verse 1, 19 verse 1, and 21, 25. Over and over again, the period of the Judges is noted to be a period in which there was no king ruling over Israel and everyone was doing whatever they wanted to do. Dr. Warren Wiersbe, commenting on the book of Judges, he wrote, When you read the book of Judges, you discover it is characterized by anarchy, and then it is characterized by apostasy and apathy. The tribes of Israel were apathetic, for they failed to go up and take the land to claim it as their inheritance. They were indifferent to the Lord and His blessing. Their apathy led to apostasy. Apostasy simply means a falling away, a departing from. He continues, They compromised and lived like the heathen nations, which were characterized by idolatry and immorality. Their apostasy ended in anarchy, with every person doing what was right in his own eyes. He continues, we have a similar situation in society today. We are living in a period similar to the book of Judges, spiritually speaking. There is no king in Israel today, and people are doing what they please. Therefore, we have no peace in our world. What this period that the Bible begins the book of Ruth reveals is that no king leads to everyone doing their own thing. No king 
leads to everyone doing their own thing. This describes our human condition without God's rule established in our lives. In fact, the prophet Isaiah put it this way concerning mankind's condition. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. You see, when we're left to our own selves, when there is no one being the shepherd of our lives, when the Lord is not our shepherd, this is what happens. We go our own way. And the Bible says through the book of Proverbs that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In Proverbs 14, verse 12. So when there is no king... Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And that ultimately will lead to destruction. In the first five verses of the first chapter of Ruth, the person who is emphasized is Naomi. Look at verse 5. Then both, it says, Milan and Kilion also died. I loved what it says. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. We know who the woman referred to is here because of what is stated in the previous verses. She is noted to be a survivor. In other words, she, she's gone through some stuff. She faced her share of battles and lived to be able to talk about them. And I want you to understand, if you're here tonight, you are like Naomi. You're a survivor. You're living proof that you've been through some stuff and you're still alive. You're still here. You're a survivor. Some of you went, I'm a survivor. Yeah, some of you went there, huh? Yeah, that, that popped in your head. I'm a survivor. No, no. Yeah, come back, come back, come back. She was a survivor. Now, Yet, as we read through this chapter, we discover that not only was she the woman who had some things happen to her, she also had something happen in her. Not only did she have some things happen to her, she also had something happen in her. The Bible tells us later on in this same first chapter of Ruth, Verses 19 to 21. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, the two of them being Ruth and Naomi. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman, the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Watch this. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. One commentator says of her name, Naomi, the precise import of the word is not absolutely ascertained, but it is probable that it is somewhat abbreviated in its termination. And means God is sweet. Or very literally, Jah. 
is sweet. Jah being the abbreviated version of Jehovah or the shortened version of Jehovah. So Naomi, meaning God is sweeter, Jah is sweetness. Others translate her name to mean pleasant or delightful or lovely. But Mara, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Don't call me sweet anymore. Call me bitter. Don't call me pleasant or delightful or lovely anymore. Call me bitter. What caused Naomi to undergo such a transformation? Not for the better, but for the worse. I believe the answer is found in what died in her life. Looking at the first five verses of the first chapter of Ruth, we discover again that she lost her husband and her two sons. Their names also reveal what had died in her life. And let me just say, if these things die in our lives as well, we will go from sweet to bitter. Our lives will go from being lives that are pleasant to lives that are painful. From peace to pieces. Her husband's name was Elimelech, which means God is king or my God is king. Watch what happened with Naomi. I want you to get a hold of this. Naomi went from letting God reign to passing him the blame. Watch this. Naomi went from letting God reign to passing him the blame. Did you notice that in verses 19 through 21 of Ruth 1? She was blaming God for what had occurred in her life. But if you read through the book of Ruth, there is no hint or implication that God ever directed her husband or herself to go to Moab in the time of famine. And what is interesting to me is that even though famine hit, there were women that met her when she came back that evidently survived the famine because they had heard that the God they served, and you'll read it in the book of Psalms, He is the one that provides for His people even in the time of famine. I have been young and now am old, said the psalmist, but yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor His seed begging bread. Let me tell you something about our Heavenly Father, God Almighty. He is more than enough even when there is not enough. And we've got to learn to trust Him instead of going with our own impulses or instead of being led by compulsion. We have to learn to trust Him even when things go from bad to worse because He's still King. He's still in charge. He's still on His throne. And something may have knocked you off your kilter, but there is nothing that will knock Him off His throne. And I see this today 
It happens through all ages of Christ followers. When things are good, give them praise. But when things are bad, give them the blame. He's still king. He's still in charge. And he's still worthy of my praise. My circumstances don't change who he is. He remains the same. When God ceases to be king, the shot caller in my life, the leader, the director of my affairs, and I start to try to compartmentalize and say, you, you can have this area, but I'll take care of that. And then when we reap that kind of doing, we can't turn and say, well, where were you? What did you do? No, we left his protective care by pushing away his rule and reign in that area of our lives. Do you get this? And yet, when the consequences happen, we have the tendency of saying, it's the Almighty. I went out full, but I came back empty because the Almighty. He didn't tell you to go. You just went. Now you want to blame him? What does Peter tell us to do in 1 Peter 3.15? Look at this in the Amplified. It says, but in your hearts, set Christ apart as holy and acknowledge him as Lord. In your hearts, set Christ apart as holy and acknowledge him as Lord. I like the way the message puts it. The message says it this way. Through thick and thin, Keep your hearts at attention in adoration before Christ, your Master. This is our calling through thick and thin. I am to keep my heart at attention, saying, no matter what happens in my life, I'm not here to follow my compulsion. I'm not here to follow my emotions. I'm here at your bidding to follow your leading. Whatever you would have me to do, regardless of what is happening in my life, I'm here to honor you as master. I'm here to give you my worship. I'm here to give you my praise. In little or much, my lips and my life will glorify your name. Jesus is to be Lord of our lives. I like what Jason Power says regarding lordship. Lordship is like leader or director. He says, I think of it like a personal piano teacher. Your teacher knows your skills and knows how to get you to the next level because they've been there before. They may have you do drills or exercises that will help you get stronger or more dexterity in your hands. Because the teacher is older, more experienced, higher to help you get better. And let's face it, better than you are. You trust what he tells you and you practice what he says to practice. That's 
the idea behind Jesus being Lord. And Jesus said to some people, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? If he's Lord, I'm going to follow his direction. Amen? A wise Bible teacher once said, sooner or later, God will bring self-sufficient people to the place where they have no resource but Him. No strength, no answers, nothing but Him. Without God's help, they are sunk. This same wise old teacher then told of a despairing man who once, who confessed to his pastor, my life is really in bad shape. How bad? The pastor inquired, bearing his head in his hands. He moaned, I'll tell you how bad. All I've got left is God. The pastor's face lit up. I am happy to assure you that a person with nothing left but God has more than enough for great victory. Ah, I want to say to you that even if you're like Naomi and you're reaping the consequences of your own decision and find yourself empty, Almighty, Shaddai, that's what Almighty, the name of God comes from, Shaddai, which means sufficient, Almighty is more than enough to replenish whatever you lost. And if you come to Him, He will not leave you empty-handed. So let Him be the leader, the director of your life. So why did she go from peace to pieces? Because really, the Lord ceased to be king in her life. There's another death that transpired that impacted and affected her life. The death of her son, Milan. His name, according to some reference Bibles, it means weak or sickly. Weak or sickly. There is a set of commentaries that my father left me. Back in the day, it was considered the Cadillac of commentaries. The pulpit commentary. And I remembered, as I was preparing for this yesterday, hey, you read something from there about 20 years ago. The Holy Spirit reminded me. So I went, and I, sure enough, and I loved what it revealed regarding this name, Milan. It points out that the root of his name, Milan, is apparently to be tender. Thence the word came by one line of thought to mean to be physically tender. That is, to be sick. And by another that runs out of the Chaldean, it came to mean, watch this, to be morally tender, to be mild, or forgiving. Associated with his name is the idea of being tender and being forgiven. Forgiving. Watch this. When you blame others for your misfortune or misery, 
You actually hold yourself hostage and subject your heart to a hardening. The way to move from a tough heart to a tender heart is through exercising forgiveness. And you know who Naomi held responsible? God. He's to blame. It's his fault. She had become offended by God. And in essence, she was holding offense against God. She needed to forgive. In other words, because at the root of the word forgive means to let go, release. She needed to release God of the responsibility she had placed on Him for her situation. Whereas you and I, in life, we have experienced hurt at the hands of others. We have experienced misery and misfortune because of the acts of others against our lives. But even we, who have been the recipients of wrongdoing by others, must be willing to forgive Lest our hearts become hardened. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.32, watch this, and be kind to one another. What's the next word? Tenderhearted. How do you get there? Forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. That's the standard. The Bible don't, the Bible don't play. Bible says, this is why you're going to forgive. I know I'm picking on you, Jay. This is why you ought to forgive, Jay. Because you think they owe you. But you owed God a whole lot more. And he forgave you. He let it go. Wow. When I think of what Eddie did to me, in comparison to what I did to God... It's like, those are, that's crumbs compared to what I, my sins are like a whole bakery. And, you see what I'm saying? A mother was preparing pancakes for her sons, Kevin, who was five, and Ryan, who was three. The boys began to argue who, over who would get the first pancake. Their mother saw this as an opportunity to teach them a moral lesson. She said, if Jesus was sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Kevin, the oldest, turned to his younger brother and said, okay, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> and, and the truth is, <laughs> when, when it comes to exercising kindness and forgiveness, we want the other person to be Jesus. Why are you getting quiet now? What happened to the clapping and the shouting and the hooting? Uh-huh. All right. That just means some of us need to forgive. There are two little brothers, Harry and James. They had just finished supper and they were playing until bedtime. Somehow Harry hit James with the stick. And tears and bitter words followed. 
charges and accusations were still being exchanged as her mother prepared them for bed. She said, now, boys, what would happen if either of you die tonight and you never have the opportunity again to forgive one another? James spoke up. Well, okay, I'll forgive him tonight. But if we're both alive in the morning, he better look out. (laughs) How often are we like that with how we deal with grudges? But when the Bible says to forgive, it means to release someone of the debt that either you perceive they owe you or they actually owe you. Let it go. Some of you going there. Y'all, come back from frozen. Come on, come back. What does the Bible tell us? In Colossians 3, verse 13, it says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Make allowance. For me, I have to apply this on the road. Make allowance for that slow driver. Make allowance. Because sometimes God knows, and my wife knows, and she reminds me, let it go. Let it go. And I'm like, but, but why? Why are they on this lane when it says slower traffic, go on right lane? Let it go. But honey, I want them to obey the law. Slower traffic. You know how we justify it, right? Why forgive? Because to forgive, someone said, is to set the prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was me. Because when I hold on to unforgiveness, I'm keeping myself hostage. Someone else noted forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future. Forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future. So why did not Naomi go from better to bitter, from peace to peace? Is it because the Lord ceased to be king in her life? And also because she had unforgiveness in her heart. And thirdly, we see the third son, Kilion died. Kilion means felling, pining. I looked up the word pining. It means suffer a mental and physical decline, especially because of a broken heart. Suffer a mental or physical decline, especially because of a broken heart. But what is interesting, I went back to that same resource 
the pulpit commentary, and it points out that the primary idea of the Hebrew word that serves as the root for kilion is to complete. But besides the completion that is realized in consuming, consumption, or ending, there is moral completeness or finish that is realized in perfection. I'm going to break it down. In Psalm 119.96, it speaks of, I have seen the consummation of all perfection. This idea of beautiful completeness or perfection, it says, is more likely to be the meaning of the name than the idea of consumptiveness or consumption. In other words, it is that complete work that God does whereby He creates a masterpiece. Because the God we serve, He's not a good, just a good starter. He's a great finisher. You see, Naomi's attitude was short-circuiting God's perfecting, maturing work in her. She was resigning to her circumstances while God was trying to get her to resign to His process. And sometimes we allow circumstances that are contrary to what we were expecting God to do on our behalf to discourage us to such a point that we give up and we quit the process of His working in our lives. The Bible says this in James 1, 2 through 4 in the New King James. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience, watch, have its perfect work that you may be what? Perfect. And what? Complete, lacking nothing. Do you see the process that God has us on? It is a process that includes promise. It is a process that includes purpose. It is a process, process that has an end in mind, which is to make us perfect, fully developed, complete, lacking nothing. That's God's aim. That's His target. That's His goal. That's His commitment is to get us to that point of experiencing His working to such a degree that in areas where we are lacking, we are now filled. In areas in which we had no balance, we are now fully adjusted and stable. In areas in which we found ourselves weak, now we find ourselves winning. But when circumstances come, we got to Make up our mind, no matter how painful the process, I'm not quitting. No matter how difficult, I'm not stopping. No matter what comes against my life, I'm going to stay in the process. The writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 10, 32-39. I'm reading out of the message. Remember those early days? After you first saw the light, those were the hard times. 
kicked around in public, targets of every kind of abuse. Some days it was you, other days your friends. If some friends went to prison, you stuck by them. If some enemies broke in and seized your goods, you let them go with a smile, knowing they couldn't touch your real treasure. Nothing they did bothered you. Nothing set you back. Then he says, so don't throw it all away now. You were sure of yourselves then. It's still a sure thing. But I love this. But you need to stick it out. Staying with God's plan. So you will be there for the promise completion. It won't be long now. He's on the way. He'll show up most any minute. But anyone who is right with me thrives on loyal trust. If he cuts and runs, I won't be very happy. But we're not quitters who lose out. Oh no, we'll stay with it and survive trusting all the way. To see God's work perfected and completed in us requires stick-to-itiveness. Stick-to-itiveness. What is the difference between winners and losers? Winners just hold on a little longer. Winners just keep trusting a little longer. Winners just keep believing a little longer. Winners just pray a little longer. Winners just keep praising a little longer. Winners just keep fasting a little longer. One of my favorite stories is about a scrawny kid from West Texas who attended a small high school. They didn't have a wrestling program, but he read a book on wrestling and asked one of the assistant football coaches if he would enter him in some of the wrestling matches in that region. The coach agreed to help the kid. This little guy was neither strong nor skillful, but he had one enduring quality. He refused to give up. He won every single wrestling match because he tenaciously held on to his opponents and wore them down. By the end of the season, he was undefeated and made it to the state finals for his weight classification. The kid's opponent was a two-time state champ and bonafide college prospect. As a scrawny kid faced the state champion, the guy made a couple of quick moves and soon had the West Texas kid on his back and about to get pinned. The coach knew his athlete was about to lose and he couldn't bear to watch it. So he turned his head away. Suddenly, the coach heard the roar of the crowd. And when he turned around, his kid was on top of the state champ pinning him. He had won the match. The little guy bounced across the mat and he hugged the coach and said, Coach, I won! I won! The coach said, Sure, son, but I missed it. I turned away just before you were about to lose. What happened? The kid said, Coach, that guy was good. He had me twisted like a pretzel on the, on that mat. But you know me, coach, I never quit. I refused to give up. So I opened my eyes. And there in front of me was a big toe. 
I don't even know if it's against the rules or not, but I bit into that big toe with all my strength. And coach, it's amazing what you can do when you bite your own toe. I want to encourage you tonight. If you're ever tempted to give up on God and His promises, just remember that little guy. Take a grip on the promises of God and never release them because God honors persistence. God honors His child that like Job in the middle of the trouble that you're going through says, I know that He knows the way that I'm taking and when He has tried me I'm going to come forth like gold. I'm looking for believers in this place tonight who are have a made up mind. I don't care what comes against me. If God is all I have, God is all I need. Listen, if we will choose to re-sign to God's process instead of resigning to our circumstances, we will experience the fulfillment of His purpose and promise So how do we put our life together? If we want to reverse the process and experience a comeback in face of a setback, then we must, as we've noted tonight, first acknowledge Jesus as King through committing to worship Him through everything. Then, secondly, we must keep our hearts tender through exercising forgiveness. No matter what's been said or done against you, don't hold on to resentment, to offense. Let it go. And thirdly, make a commitment to stick it out and stay with God's plan. Why? Because God will take our pieces and create a masterpiece resulting in His peace. He will turn bitter waters into sweet waters. Amen? All of us, like Naomi, will go to bitter times. But don't let the bitterness on the outside get on the inside. Keep pressing. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we thank you for your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. And I thank you that tonight here, your presence is present. And we have experienced it in a wonderful way. As you've touched us during our time of interacting with you through our worship. We praise you, Father. Because great is your faithfulness. And you are committed to finish what you started in our lives. And Father, we are committed to sticking with the process. I will not blame you, but I will bless you at all times. Your praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul, as the psalmist said, I declare, 
will make her boast in you, Lord. Spirit right now do your work I believe that there's some of you today that are waiting for God to release he's promised you what's been on his heart for you I believe the father would say to you today I've been so wanting to release what's on my heart for you but not only are you keeping yourself hostage your unwillingness to release What's been in your heart against others? Is keeping you not only hostage, but keeping me from being able to release what's in my heart for you. But the Father is also saying, if you'll let go, if you'll release, if you'll forgive, I will release what's been in my heart for you. I'll release my favor. I'll release my abounding grace. I'm going to open up this altar right now because I know, I know as I'm standing here, that this is where God is leading me to go tonight. And it's going to take boldness for some of you to step out and come forward and say, I'm letting go. I'm releasing. Because I want God to release. I'm tired of holding myself hostage and holding God's hand back from releasing on my life what He so longs to pour out on me. That's you. You come forward. And I'm going to ask prayer warriors to join me and stand up here. Let's be ready to assist. Let me just tell you, there is no shame in coming. There's freedom in coming. There's freedom in approaching God. In humility and saying, God, I know you've spoken. And I'm saying yes to what you've spoken in my life. There's no shame here. This is a no-shame zone. This is a place to experience the mercy and grace that His Word invites us to obtain. That's it. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Abba. You're ready to release. You're ready to let go. Come. Yeah. Thank you, Abba.